Hey, good morning. Good to see you guys. And you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That felt weirdly like the end of the service, huh? It's good to see you guys, and also you. Uh, we have a fun little video to share with you guys today. Some of you know that uh, a couple uh, Saturdays ago, um, maybe it was just last Saturday, and my, the days are running together for me. We had our first resource fair here in a very long time. We used to do regular resource fairs here prior to COVID, uh, and we had really ramped those up, and we're doing them actually every month. Uh, and it was it had become. Uh, kind of a, a big event here it was a lot of activity and then COVID came and we of course locked down our in-person services and then uh, let go of our resource fairs and kept our food pantry open. We wanted to keep some kind of service to those who are in need in the community open. So we operated our food pantry throughout the lockdown, which was amazing because a lot of food pantries shut down during COVID. Uh, but we had to let go of the resource fairs because there was just too many people like congregating together at a time when it wasn't safe. So last week we were able to restart it and we wanted to share this video with you now. Yeah, go ahead, Mary. The heart is blue. Shoots up through the stony ground There's no room No space to rent in this town You're out of luck And the reason that you had to care The traffic is stuck And you're not moving anywhere You thought you found fair Take you out of this place Someone you could lend a hand In return for grace It's a beautiful day First blood and see the birds of the leaving 
So this whole affair uh, was really put on by the pantry, Victoria McGoldrick, who was the woman right in the middle of that last picture. She's our pantry manager on staff. Uh, she organized all of this. Her sister, Cece, came, took pictures, made the video, did a great job with that. It was a really good day. We served about 125 lunches that day, uh, gave away, I believe, 50 of the 70 backpacks with school supplies that you all put together and provided. And then the rest of them are being distributed through the pantry. We had lots of pantry uh, customers or, or uh, clients who come who actually weren't able to come that day. So a lot of those families are getting those school supply backpacks as they come to our pantry every Monday. So thanks to you for helping to put this together. And if you didn't know anything about this or hadn't heard of this before, we will be doing another one of these in the fall. So there will be a, a Thanksgiving themed resource fair. If you're interested in being involved in the future, there's a connect card in the pew back right in front of you. You can just grab this, fill out your information on it. Let us know that you're interested in volunteering with the resource fair or the pantry. Or if there's something else that you want to get connected to, you feel free to mark it on here. And then you can just pop these Connect cards in that little offering box that's on the wall there at the back of the sanctuary. Or if you're this kind of a person, there's a QR code. You can just scan the QR code and do all of that digitally. I still don't really understand QR codes because I'm a Gen Xer. So it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, but if that's easier for you, then great. By the way, if you don't know, my name is Jason. I'm one of the co-ministers here at Oceanside Sanctuary. We're going to go ahead and jump into a new teaching series today. Uh, we're calling this Unlikely Heroes. And so today I want to begin with one of the better known unlikely heroes of Scripture, and that is Moses. So we're going to take a look at Exodus chapter 32, Starting in verse 1, before we get there, let's just have a bit of a prayer together, and then we'll jump into the text. God, we thank you so much for today, for this opportunity for us to gather together, to center ourselves in this space, uh, to lift our voices, to offer our prayers, to give over to you the things that are causing us uh, frustration or anxiety or sadness and to receive the grace that you have to give in this space, the acceptance that you're pouring out here through 
every person in this room, the, the love, the encouragement, the opportunity to experience becoming who you've created us to be. And we ask that you would make that more and more real for us as we press into what it means to follow after you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know that uh, Janelle and I were blessed with our first grandchild 10 months ago. And so just like all the sounds of babies that you're hearing in here today, our house is increasingly filled with the sound of a, of a 10 month old who comes over for a visit. Somehow also Janelle and I won the lottery this summer. Our daughter and son-in-law moved from Los Angeles to Oceanside, bought a house 10 doors down from us. Oh my gosh, how terrible is that? And uh, so now they just like will walk up and, you know, visit with us, which is amazing. And the, maybe one of the funnest parts of that, and if, if you've ever been a parent or a grandparent, you know exactly what I'm talking about, is the opportunity to see them grow and develop, right? To change, to become like who they're supposed to be. And that growing and developing starts with small things like, them smiling back at you when you smile to them. And you're like, oh my gosh, like the greatest thing in the world when a baby smiles at you. Uh, or when like they come over, like Otis comes, Otis is our grandson, by the way, Otis comes over for a visit and he's pulling himself up and standing and like walking around things while he holds on, which of course means our house has suddenly become a really dangerous place for Otis because he can pull himself up and reach things that he couldn't reach before. All of these are the kinds of milestones that you really are proud of as a parent. Pretty soon he's going to take his first steps and pretty soon instead of responding to his mother who says mama, mama, mama to him, instead of responding dada, he's going to say mama, right? And that's going to be one of those amazing little milestones. Lives are full of these kinds of milestones of growth and development if you're a parent or a grandparent. In the Coker house, you might know this or you might not know this. This might surprise you or not surprise you. One of the great proud moments in the Coker house is the milestone that occurs when one of our children learn to disobey us. <laughs> As a family, we just greatly value children who grow up and learn to stand on their own, to have their own ideas, their own opinions, and to sometimes have the strength to disagree with mom or dad. This usually happens around early adolescence. I can remember, especially when it happened with our youngest child, Alana. Alana is currently 22 years old and just graduated from college in May. She's back at home from college. And so every day I'm reminded that she no longer feels the obligation to obey me. I remember when she was around 14 and she had just started high school. And for us, we have this sort of policy as parents. All of our kids are either going to play an instrument or are they going to participate in some sort of organized sporty thing, right? Like, and we're not a super sporty family, for those of you who didn't know that. But still, we would like encourage our kids to do some kind of sport. And most of them did until Alana, when she entered into high school. I remember I decided to have the talk with her, right? Because she'd been going to high school for a while and it was time to like sign up for various sporty things. And I hadn't heard that she was doing that, right? And her next oldest daughter, Judah, she swam competitively and took it actually kind of seriously for a coker at least, right? And then before her, her oldest sister, Savannah, ran track. 
really took it seriously, which was surprising. So when Alana got to be that age and she wasn't talking to us about what kind of little sporty thing she was going to do, I remember I had to have the talk with her. So I went and I said, hey, Alana, you know, it's uh, you're in high school now and it's about time for you to think about how you might engage in a competitive activity where you attempt to belittle your peers in some way by proving <laughs> by proving that you're superior to them. And uh, she said, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And I was befuddled by that response. And I said, well, you know, in our, in our family, this is what we do. You know, everybody plays a little sport. You know, they play a little instrument. They learn to do something that expands their intellectual capacity, their social capacity, it helps you to become the person that you can, you know, be in your life, the best person that you can possibly be. It's an incredibly valuable experience. You learn camaraderie and teamwork and you learn competition. You learn to fail. You learn to be embarrassed in public. These are really important milestones for you. And she said, no, I, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, why aren't you going to do that? And then she proceeded to my great dismay to demolish all of my arguments patiently and carefully and reasonably one by one. And I don't totally remember exactly what she said because I was so like disoriented by the fact that she was demolishing my arguments that I sort of wandered, stumbled back to Janelle. And Janelle said, how did it go? And I said, I don't know. I, I don't think... I don't think she's going to do it. Of all of our kids, Alana is the one who is most comfortable saying no to authority. And they're all pretty good at it. But Alana stands firm in her no. And that makes me so proud. I think one of the troubles that we have in religious spaces is that our highest value is to teach people to obey. So much so that we teach them that faith is, by definition, a kind of expression of blind obedience. This is why, for me, Moses is one of our greatest heroes of faith. Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have a, the words up on the screen. Uh, but let me read the first portion of this passage to you. This is, of course, the story of the golden calf when the Hebrews in the desert erected a golden calf. Starting in verse 1, it says this, When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, so this is after Moses had hiked up to the top of Mount Sinai in order to, to see God face to face, to spend time with God face to face, to receive the covenant of God's people from God directly in the form of these uh, laws that were chiseled by God's own finger on these stone tablets, right? So while Moses is up there, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are on your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off all the gold rings of their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from them, formed it in a mold and cast an image of a calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. 
They arose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to revel. Meanwhile, the Lord said to Moses, go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They've been quick to turn aside from the ways that I have commanded them. They've cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, verse 10, so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And you and I will make a great nation. Just pause there for a minute. This is a pretty dramatic moment in the history of the people of Israel. They're delivered out of Egypt. They're in the desert, wandering around. Moses leaves the camp to go at the top of, the, of Mount Sinai to meet with God, to get instructions from God. And while he's gone, the people sort of freak out. Moses has been gone a long time. We don't know what happened to him. How do we move forward without some kind of a leader, without some, some sort of God to worship? And so they cast this idol. This angers God. And while God and Moses are hanging out face to face, God says to Moses, listen, I'm done with these people. I will consume them. I'll smite them. I will destroy them. And then you and I, we can go and we can start over again with another group of people. Now, Moses has come a long way at this point. Like, remember who Moses is, right? How many of you saw Prince of Egypt when you were a kid? <laughs> Moses, right, born to Hebrew slaves at a time when the Pharaoh heard this story that somebody would come to supplant him. And so he orders all the firstborn children of Hebrew slaves to be murdered. And so Moses's mother and sister put him in a little ark made of reeds. They float him down the stream. And who picks him up? It's the daughter of the Pharaoh himself. So Moses, raised a Hebrew slave, is, is actually, or born a Hebrew slave, is actually raised a prince of Egypt, part of the royal household. But he knows who he is. He knows his identity. He has this kind of mixed identity. Is he, is he uh, part of Pharaoh's household or is he a Hebrew? He learns, of course, that he is born a Hebrew. And one day when he sees a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian, he loses his temper and he murders the Egyptian. So Moses, of course, is a murderer, a criminal. He has to face the penalty for this, which is death. And so he leaves behind his people. He leaves behind his royal household. He flees into the desert. He joins with the Midianites. He lives for 40 years in the desert. He marries into a whole different group of people. He becomes a shepherd in the middle of the desert. That's his life. He's a fugitive on the run, living with a nomadic and relatively poor group of people for 40 years. He must think to himself, this is who I am. Until, of course, that amazing story where he sees the burning bush. He experiences the presence of God in this bush that is on fire, but not being destroyed somehow. And out of this bush comes the voice of God who says, I'm calling you to lead my people out of slavery, out of Egypt. This makes no sense to Moses. He says, I'm nobody. I, I don't speak well. I'm not good enough to be a leader. 
God encourages him anyway, and so Moses goes. And then you know the rest of the story. He has this epic sort of struggle with Pharaoh, and there are all of these miracles and plagues that come to Egypt in order to convince Pharaoh to let go of the Hebrews. Finally, after this epic, challenging battle, Moses wins. He wins the freedom of his people. They're let go. They're delivered out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea with the help of God, crosses the Red Sea on dry land. Pharaoh's armies are destroyed. They get to the other side. They get into the desert. He gathers everybody together in a camp. God calls him up to the mountain. After all of that, after everything that he has done to try to make this happen, this impossible liberation, this impossible journey, God says, I'm done with these people. I'll destroy them. And you and I can go start over again with a whole new group. What does Moses say in return? Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt? With great power and with a mighty hand, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your fierce wrath. Change your mind. Do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I've promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. God says to Moses, I am done with these people. I'm going to destroy them, and you and I are going to start over again. The creator of the universe has said to Moses at the top of a mountain, after several days of a display of power, I am done with them. I will smite them. Let's start over again. And Moses' response is no, Lord. Only he's a little smarter than that. He doesn't just say no. He says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not the one that brought them out of Egypt. You brought them out, out of Egypt. He says, remember your promises that you made to them. Remember Abraham and how you brought Abraham out in the middle of the night one night and told him to look at the stars and said, so will your descendants be. Remember how you said that you would multiply them like the stars in the sky and the sand on the beaches. And by the way, if you do, if you destroy them, won't the Pharaoh and the Egyptians just say, oh, God brought them out there specifically to kill them? In other words, Moses is arguing with God. Moses is arguing with God. He's wrestling with him. He's saying no to the creator of the universe. When was the last time you argued with God? When was the last time you came face to face with some kind of a tradition, some kind of a belief, some kind of a construct, some kind of uh, set of behaviors or expectations and looked at that and said, God, I know that this is how it's always been done, but this isn't right. 
This is one of my favorite passages in the Hebrew Bible, by the way, and it's largely because a few years back I was uh, speaking at a, a press conference of all things with a bunch of clergy people, and that group of clergy had come together uh, to have a press conference to speak out against racism, against anti-blackness, particularly in religious spaces. And as I was at this press conference, I heard one of my colleagues, a rabbi, talking to a reporter with the camera pointed towards her. And she said to the reporter on the air live, you know why Moses is considered the greatest prophet in all of Judaism? It's not because he obeyed God. It's because he disobeyed God. Because he had the courage to say no when that was the right thing to do. This man, who was a fugitive on the run, a convicted murderer, who had a checkered history, who came from a group of people who were slaves, who wasn't a good enough speaker to be a leader, so he had to recruit his brother-in-law Aaron to speak for him, who was so cowardly that he fled into the wilderness to escape his punishment for his wrongdoing. This man, at some point in his life, changed enough to be able to stand up to the creator of the universe and say, no, Lord. To me, this, I think, represents a kind of progression of growth and maturity in Moses. Moses started out as a man in his life who didn't know how to obey. He didn't know how to obey the laws in the community that he grew up in. That's why he broke those laws. That's why he ended up beating somebody to death. He went from that to somebody who could obey. Somebody who learned how to take instructions from God when God said, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. I want you to go and tell Pharaoh this. I want you to go and raise your hands and do that. Moses learned to obey. And that represented real growth, real maturity in his life. But the final stage of growth and maturity for Moses was going from somebody who knew how to obey to somebody who knew when to disobey. Somebody who knew exactly when the rules, the traditions, the constructs that were placed before him needed to be resisted because that's what was right. I love the way Peter Rollins put this in his book, uh, Fidelity of Betrayal. If you have not read Fidelity of Betrayal by Peter Rollins, I highly recommend it. It will really mess with your head. Peter Rollins says this, absolute commitment to God involves a deep, and sustained wrestling with God. Absolute commitment to God requires a deep and sustained wrestling with God. We are not here to just teach you or your children or your grandchildren how to obey. Obedience is good, don't get me wrong. It's super helpful when I approach an intersection and the car is coming the other direction, stop when the light is red. It's incredibly important when my child or my grandchild reaches for a hot stove and I say, no, that they obey. 
But there comes a point in every person's life when they are confronted with an authority that tells them to do something that isn't right. And when that day comes, it is exceedingly important that you learn the most important moral lesson of all, and that is when to say no to an authority that's calling you to do something wrong. That's what this story is about. We could have a theological argument that would be super fun and almost completely useless about whether or not God is testing Moses or whether or not like, you know, God actually wanted to smite the Israelites and what does that say about a God who would lead these people out of Israel and then suddenly destroy them in the wilderness? All of that is missing the point. This is a story that teaches us how to grow up. It's a story that teaches us how to be the kinds of unlikely, uncommon heroes that Moses was. It's a story that teaches us how to have a kind of moral backbone when that is what is needed in our community to make things right. Amen? God, we thank you so much for today and for this opportunity for us to gather here to be stretched and challenged by these words. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us how to wrestle with you. That you would give us a kind of divine dissatisfaction with just blind obedience. That we would become the kinds of people who are willing to question willing to doubt, willing to interrogate our own beliefs or ideas, or willing to resist and say no to those authorities in our lives that cause us to do harm. And we recognize, God, that when we learn that, when we gain that discernment, that that is your goodness and your grace at work in our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.